Welcome to Rice and Shine, a show looking at life through the perspective of Asian Americans in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Lauren. I'm Ava. I'm Sophie. And I'm Grace. Today, we are talking about being multiracial. Not only being multiracial, but the struggle to fit in and just identity and identity struggles. I have some important updates. We are back to Sundays at 9. I know it has been very confusing because we were at Sundays at 9, then Mondays, but now we are back to Sundays. That should be the final time for now. For now. So Sundays at 9. <laughs> on a more exciting note, we are going to be on Spotify soon. So if you're not already listening to us on there in the future, make sure to check that out. It'll likely just be under Rice and Shine. So, as some of you may know, two out of the four of our Rice and Shine crew are mixed. So, I'm mixed. I'm 25% Japanese. And um, I'm 50% Filipino and 50% white. So, being mixed is, I don't know, it's a thing. <laughs> Sophie, do you have any stories that highlight being a mixed kid? Yes, I do. And just as a little intro, in my house, like before um, I really like understood what was going on in the world, I thought like everyone was mixed and it was just so normal because me and my brother are mixed and like I didn't like I didn't realize that not everyone was mixed. So that's kind of awkward. Something that happened really recently, like maybe a month ago, was one of my dad's colleagues who is full Korean and his wife who is full Filipino like are going to have a kid soon. And so he said to my dad something that really shocked me. And what he said was something along the lines of Matt, which is my dad. Did you ever worry that your kids were going to look weird, not being a hundred percent of something? And so obviously my dad was like shocked, but like me even more so because I didn't realize people expected us, meaning mixed people to look unusual. And I'm so used to having mixed people around me that I forget some people aren't used to us in a way. And it kind of felt like a slap in the face, like just thinking that my parents could tell someone that their kids are mixed and that person would automatically assume we look weird because we aren't 100% of something like hurt. (laughs) And it's like people view us as mutants or something and it's pretty dehumanizing. Yeah, I feel like that's almost deeply rooted because, you know, biracial couples weren't allowed until you know, super recently. You know, Sophie, I think these stories are, I've heard them before, you know, that people think mixed kids will look weird. And I've definitely gotten weird looks because I don't have the most Asian features. So when you look at my dad and he's half compared to me, you know, I have colored eyes, I have a sharper nose, I have all of that. But I feel like there's also the double standard that people think mixed kids will look almost quote unquote better than kids who are full. And I remember Grace telling us a story about that. Grace, could you share? Yeah, so for a little background, um, South Korea, it really glorifies Eurocentric features. And some examples are like bigger eyes, um, taller nose bridges, bigger lips, um, like tall and skinny. So um, I feel like a lot of South Koreans Uh, really want mixed kids because um, that is really deeply rooted in them. So one time, um, I remember one of my mom's friends was saying, wow, Asian kids are so pretty. I wish my kids were Asian. And I remember thinking, like, 
what is what is this and why am I not this and why am I not enough and I just remember having a lot of very like insecure thoughts at such a young age too and um, it was really upsetting. I think we all we feel you Grace you know there are always going to be people who are doubting you and wanting you to be someone else but always be yourself as much as that is some like cheesy dollar store sign it's true you know stay true to yourself but I think being mixed you know there is there's my dad's side and everyone there is mixed except for like because my dad's half so his siblings are half their kids are quarter two so I think there is a mutual understanding of this cultural identity struggle even though we've, it's never been said, it's never talked about. Not because it's taboo, but like we've just never talked about it. There is this common understanding that we all understand each other. And on my mom's side, all, everyone except for one person, well, two people, are white. So when I am in, and they're in Utah, so there, and in Utah, there is, it's mostly Caucasian. So when I'm there, I've had many experiences of not my family necessarily, but just people mixing me up and just, I don't know, just in general, people mixing me up with other Asian people in these more uh, Caucasian populated areas. Sophie, have you had any similar experiences? Yes, I definitely have. And like, I didn't really realize this until I got a little bit older, but when my family and I would travel to like places more in the middle of the U.S. where it's not as diverse as here. Um, Like, me, my mom, and my brother, like, would get more looks because there's a lot of Caucasians in certain parts of the U.S. And, like, I guess they look at us differently because we have different features. And a lot of people, when I'm traveling around with, like, my white side cousins, it looks like really weird because she's like fair skinned, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I'm like tanner, dark eyes, dark hair. So we look really, really different. And I think realizing this now, like we got a lot of looks and it just, it's, it's so weird because we are related, but it's because we're mixed. Like it's, it's really weird. But yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. I've def like I've had the exact same experience before where me and my cousins we were filming a video just for fun, you know. And we were like it was just like a fake vlog almost and we were like, "Yeah, we don't look the same, but we're cousins. I'm the Asian one and they're the white ones." You know, and I I feel like most mixed kids have had a similar experience with looking different than the rest of their family and all of that. Um, just with, on that note, there's also, I think, for me at least, there's a difference of being around my, being in Seattle versus being in these more Caucasian, less diverse places, where I know it's not normally this way, but I do it differently. I think it's because just the way I was raised and my, being that I am so such a little portion of me is Asian. But when I am in more Caucasian populated areas, I want to like flaunt that I'm Asian almost because I've 
never been able to do that before. You know, when I am in Seattle, I do definitely blend in with the crowd, not only because a good population is mixed, but I do, like I was saying before, I do have more um, typically Caucasian features. So I know it's very different for most people, but Sophie, do you have any similar experiences or the reverse? Yeah, I was actually about to mention, I, I like experienced that similar sort of feeling, but like you said, it's kind of reversed. So when I'm on, or like when I'm around the Pacific Northwest, um, I, it's, it's really, it's interesting because um, since I'm 50-50, exactly in half, I feel like I can't call myself Asian because I'm too white, but I can't call myself white because I'm too Asian. So I can't be like either of those things because I am both, if that makes sense. And I've never been able to feel comfortable in my skin, like because of that, because, you know, like I've had my fair share of like racial discrimination because of my Asian side. And in those moments, I was like, I wish I was just white. But then I like am with Asian people and I want to talk about like Asian culture and languages, but then I feel like a fraud because, you know, I'm also white. So either way, I'm neglecting some side of me and it's pretty frustrating and it's like I'm being like pulled in half and I can't really fit into either group, which really like took a toll on me. (laughs) I don't really know how to explain it, but it just caused a lot of frustration and like a battle with me and my identity. And yeah, I think every mixed kid can understand that struggle. I definitely understand the part about feeling like a fraud, you know, like I've said to people before, oh, I'm mixed. And they're like, no, you're not. So what's that about, guys? Don't question someone's identity if they tell you that they are something. But I think there's also this sense of cultural struggle with people who are full as well. Because, you know, if you are Asian American, you do have your you're living in the U.S., if you're Asian American, and you do have roots that go back to your, uh, like, ethnicity country. That doesn't make sense, but you know what I'm saying. And I think there's definitely a disconnect, especially with these people who have come from long lines of people living in the U.S. I'm going to turn it over more to Grace and Ava now. Have you guys felt that disconnect? Yeah, definitely, especially with language barriers, because I feel like language is a really big part of your cultural identity and since like most of my family like most of my grandparents speak only Chinese and their English is not good enough for us to communicate using that way um so and my Chinese is not very good like I can still comprehend and I can speak a little bit but I definitely can't read or write so it's kind of like disconnecting knowing that like they can't talk to me and I can't really talk to them. Like, I can understand them. Like, sometimes I'll hear them say, like, ask my mom if I can understand them. And it's just kind of disheartening to know that even though I am full Chinese, I still have that sort of disconnect from my Asian relatives. Yeah, I definitely do feel like I'm disconnected from my Korean relatives. Um, I don't have a single, like, relative living in the U.S. It's just... Um, my parents and my sister and I. Uh, we do have a lot of family friends, though, but it's really sad because I wish I had some family here with me. 
Um, I am fluent in Korean. I can read, write, and speak pretty well, but I do still feel disconnected because I I can't go to Korea. Obviously, we're in the middle of the pandemic, but I wish that I had more opportunities to go and really spend time with my family in South Korea. Yeah. I think language is definitely a part of cultural identity and family, and I think those two are just a big part of identity as a whole. Um, and for me, I tried to learn ja- to learn Japanese for a few years, but when I did, I almost I stopped because I felt like a tryhard almost because I don't know it, since I am seventy five percent white. There is that part of me that's being like, oh, you don't, you don't deserve to learn Japanese because you're barely Japanese. Like, your Japanese bloodline is almost over, you know? Sophie, have you had a similar experience with Tagalog? Yes, definitely. Um, when I was younger, because I've always been really fascinated with languages. I think they're like the coolest thing ever. And uh, I really wanted to learn Tagalog so that I'd be able to speak fully to my grandparents and maybe my mom too, because she can still understand it. But the thing is, like, when my mom immigrated here, like with her parents, her parents had her stop speaking Tagalog to them because they wanted them, or no, they wanted her to not have an accent and they wanted her to, like, only speak English. And so obviously, like, I never learned any Tagalog. Maybe I heard it from, like, my uncles, but I only knew, like, weird stuff. Like, your armpits smell bad. And it, like, it's... I gave up learning Tagalog because I felt like I was trying too hard and I'd never be able to do it. And at the same time, while I was trying so hard to learn Tagalog, there was also that white part of me. And I was like, should I be trying this hard if I'm not even, like... Filipino, which I am Filipino, but it just, I don't feel like it because I'm also white, you know? I totally get that. I think also just knowing the little bits of language as a kid, like in my house, none of us speak Japanese fluently, but we say little things like, like we'll say yes in Japanese, which is height. And we'll just use these little bits and pieces. Like when, we, when we're referring to chopsticks, we'll say hashi because that's chopsticks in Japanese. It's just these little things in Japanese that we know. But when you try to piece it together as a whole language, I think that's hard, you know? And also just back to the like feeling like you're not worthy, you know? But you are worthy. Go learn your language. Be true to yourself. Grace, do you have anything to add on? Yeah, so I said earlier that I was fluent in Korean, and I think the main reason why I'm very comfortable speaking Korean is because of the media today and just having access to the internet. I spent a lot of time watching K-dramas and listening to Korean music, and that really helped me expand my vocabulary in Korean. Um, I learned a lot of slang, and I learned a lot of swear words, too. So I feel like it's very easy to go online and learn your language and really um, explore your culture without having to actually go to the country. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that 
even though learning a language is really hard and no one should feel obligated to know a language just because they're part of an ethnicity, um, I think everyone should take the opportunity to, you know, hop online and maybe take a couple of online courses in your language. Yeah, that was a really good point. I think in this digital age, things are so accessible. So when people do want to learn their language, when people do want to reconnect with their culture, then they can. And I think that's the beauty of living in this era. Also, I liked what you said about not feeling obligated. I think that's also, like, as you said that, I was realizing that's a big part of my story, too. You know, I, it wasn't that, I don't know, I'm still struggling with it today, honestly. And that's okay. If you are still struggling with it, that's okay. Take your time, figure it out. But there is definitely don't feel obligated to do anything you don't want to do. Always be able to draw the line in your cultural identity, in languages, and in life in general. And that, on that note, have you guys come to terms with your cultural identity? If you have, what makes you feel at peace with your identity? Um, I want to briefly talk about this because... I think I have the privilege of having parents who are very understanding and they don't try to force any, you know, Korean culture onto me. And I feel very lucky to have friends and peers who don't force American culture onto me. So at the moment, I feel very balanced with my cultural identity and I feel very grateful that I have access to Um, like Korean media, I can text in Korean, and I can watch Korean videos, even though I'm not actually in Korea, I'm still very connected to my Korean, uh, Korean side, and as well as my American side. So yeah, I definitely feel very at peace with my cultural identity, and I really hope I can continue to be like this, but it was definitely a long journey for me. Yeah, same sort of, I share a similar sentiment with Grace. Like, my parents have been very understanding and my peers as well. I've pretty much connected with my culture pretty well, except for that language barrier I mentioned earlier. Like, we still go and visit, like, China, Taiwan, so I feel pretty connected there. And we also sort of do traditions like making dumplings, chai boxes, wontons with my grandma, and as well as, like, Chinese New Year stuff. So I feel very connected and very appreciative of where I stand with my identity. I think as for me, it's honestly day to day. Like if I'm, if I'm around Japanese stuff, then I'm like, cool. But I don't know. I think I've definitely grown as a person after wanting to be more Japanese and wanting to be more white, having this struggle and then coming out of it. I think I don't know, my mindset, for now at least, is that, you know, it doesn't define me. It is a part of me. My cultural identity is a part of me, but it doesn't define me. And I'm not, like, I'm not, this sounds weird, but I'm not Japanese, I'm not white, I'm me, you know? And I don't know, that's not the best advice I could give, but I think just do whatever feels right. I'm going to add on to that because I'm going to have to say for now, no, I haven't come to terms with my cultural identity. Like when I'm just listening to like K-pop, watching K-dramas or talking about Asian culture, 
I have this voice in the back of my head that's just telling me that I'm a fraud and that I'm not a real Asian and that I don't deserve to enjoy this content or talk about culture. And I still feel like I'm being pulled in half, even after living in this body for 14 years. Um, however, I think meeting people like the Rice and Shine team has definitely helped immensely because just the other day, Lauren and I had like a mental breakdown talking about this stuff. And I thought it was really funny because we were laughing about it and saying it in kind of a joking manner, but we also understood each other's frustrations like so exactly. And it's crazy because we're kind of just now realizing that we're not alone in feeling like we are not this or not that. We're not either. There's a lot of people that feel like that. And I'm only just now realizing that. And with Grace and Ava, they always let me know that I do belong and that if anyone ever tells me otherwise, they'll like attack them. But that last part was mostly Grace, but it's still pretty comforting. What I found helps me feel at peace is just remembering that I have people who accept me and will continue to support me through all of my identity crises. And like knowing that people love me regardless of my identity is also really comforting. And seeing more mixed people media too helps a ton. Like seeing Vernon from the K-pop um, band Seventeen because he's half white and half Korean. And for some reason, it makes me feel proud seeing another 50-50 mixed person, you know, living his best life. And especially when one of those halves matches one of mine, which in this case is the white half. And I feel like I can connect with him on another level because of that. And it makes me feel at peace. I just hope that someday I'll be able to wholeheartedly say that I've accepted my identity, every part of it. I love that. I love everything you said, Sophie, and I feel like it really just represents, I don't know, my mindset as well. I think what I'm taking away from that is, guys, if you don't have, I don't know, find someone who matches your mindset, whether it be family or a friend or even an online friend, and if you can't find anyone like that, you have us, you know, listen to us. And I think just back on my mixed stuff again from last episode. I think seeing people like us in the media is always a verifier, you know? It makes you feel you're seeing their success and you're thinking, I can be successful. They're having cultural crises, so am I, you know? And I hope that the Rice and Shine group can be that kind of supporter for you. Even if we don't know you personally, I hope that we are able to make that connection regardless of whether we know you or not. That's it for today. These were our thoughts on being multiracial, trying to fit in, and having identity crises. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.